everybody. Welcome to Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. We have yet another very interesting show because there's so many good topics to talk about. Here we are in the middle of the, or beginning of the summer, and lots is happening on the political front. But first... But first, you got to go to Masoni's. Why? 8833 Bel Air Road. Why? Well, apparently right now it's the mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Five-inch mozzarella sticks. Five-inch mozzarella sticks with vodka sauce. There you go. Huh? The kids love that. What do you think? Slap that up. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Parents will just love that one. Uh, vodka sauce for dipping. This is the new uh, kid-tested and mother-approved, allegedly, <laughs> from Chris Masoni. In any event, take a look at our Facebook. There's a big ad there. At my Facebook, anyway, there's a big ad there. And always Masoni's which is reasonably priced, terrific Italian food. And where, babe? What is supposed to address? 8833 Bel Air Road. This is not a potpourri show. This is a four-story show because, as you said, babe, there's so many compelling storylines these days. And I've chosen four for our discussion. The first is the dominant story in American politics these days, the debt ceiling vote. So I have a couple observations, if you don't mind. No, I. you are really great at explaining this because you've been in Congress and you have a very measured view of exactly how much can be accomplished versus not. So with that... Versus if you were king. Right, exactly. And there's a reason that we don't have that type of government. <laughs> That's another story. So let me just preface my points with Republicans almost always lose these showdowns, whether it's a continuing resolution with regard to unpassed appropriations bills or periodic votes on the debt limit. The court of public opinion almost always holds that Democrats win and Republicans lose. But why is that? The Republicans actually need all three areas the the yeah. presidency and both houses right, to of win. Congress in order to actually win that. And we haven't had that. Hopefully we'll have this this next election. There's a couple fundamental reasons at work here. One is the pre-existing spending culture of Washington. It's a spending culture. There's a reason there's so many lobbyists. There's a reason there's so many folks interested in the federal dollar. So there's a spending culture pre-existing regardless of who holds power. And no one seems to want to stop that. Both parties. Both parties. You remember my old line in yes. politics, Republicans are the party of big government, Democrats are the party of really, really, really big government. And that really plays out in Washington almost on a daily basis. Secondly, you have a complicit media uh, with regard to the spending culture. So the reporting from the quote-unquote mainstream media, the left-leaning media is always going to be more pro-Democrat, pro-spending, pro-spending constituency rather than fiscal hawks and protecting the taxpayer buck. So you have that sort of playing field, which is tilted left. Just That's just the way it is. A couple other observations here. Joe Biden is president. Chuck Schumer is majority leader in the Senate. You don't hold many cards as Kevin McCarthy and with a very slim margin in the House. So the fact of it is you're going to a poker game down. You are at a disadvantage. It's just the way it is uh, when you only hold one House, and even that House is held by a slim margin. 
So you're not going to get what is ideal, as you said, but you're not going to get what you want. Politics is a game of yes. Politics is a game of compromise when you don't have many cards, especially. So that that's that. On top of that, you have had this very difficult president who, from the very beginning, foreseeing this debt crisis last winter, said, I'm not going to negotiate. Clean bill. That's the way it is. And that has been the president's position all the way through until the very eve now of these negotiations. So you've had an unwilling participant in negotiations. Kevin McCarthy, to his great credit, in February said, here I am, clearing my schedule, make myself available. I'll walk up to Pennsylvania Avenue, whatever it is. I'm willing to talk. We need to talk. And Joe Biden, knowing that he held most of the cards did not until, again, the eve of these negotiations. And Kevin McCarthy knew that he had to compromise at some point, and he knew that it was going to be difficult to herd all of his folks uh, in order to get those votes. He knew it was going to be a difficult job. Well, for over 90 days, the uh, speaker was persistent, and the president was a no-show. That's just the way it was. We live in the realm of real. We live in the realm of the possible. And again, babe, a point we've made on this show— the reason Kevin McCarthy didn't have many cards to play is the fact that 20 and 22 didn't work out so well. Right. So for those Republicans who stayed home in Georgia in 2022, this is a consequence. It's a very tangible consequence of not voting and getting, being all upset for one reason or another, not showing up at the polls. So again, con- uh, elections have consequences. This is one truly tangible consequence of the fact that Republicans only have one house, again, by a very slim margin. Uh, I will point out as well that, we'll get to the votes here in a second, there was progressive angst because the progressives said, hey, why not a clean bill? Republicans have no cards. We don't want any spending restraint. We just want to spend. Spend, spend, spend. That's what we're about. We're progressives. Spend. Why give? So there was that dynamic as well. there's a little bit of that dynamic that they're, the inflation is so bad right now that maybe they need to think about it. Nah, and actually, nah. <laughs> some Democrats had to think about well, it because of their seats. Purple seats, correct. Purple seat Democrats, not progressives, though. Purple seat Democrats, those Democrats who are in, despite the fact that Trump may have carried their district one or both times. So, babe, we have a deal now, and uh, we'll get to the votes in a second, but I've basically divided into wins and losses. On the loss side... No entitlement reform. Of course, there's been no entitlement reform. That was a non-starter from the very beginning. The Democrats are never interested in. Republicans know that's a minefield. So, uh, and that is, by the way, taking two-thirds of the budget out of play because entitlements represent two-thirds of the budget. So you're talking about 33%. And then when you delete defense from the 33%, you're talking about less than 20% with regard to these negotiations. You're talking about around 13 to 15% actually of the federal budget you're negotiating over. Mm-hmm. Okay. So defense is out and the entitlements are out. Republicans, again, with few cards, wanted a short-term debt limit extension. Why? Because they would have had another bite at the apple prior to the next election. Mm-hmm. Democrats said no. Kevin McCarthy gave on that. So no two bites at the apple with regard to debt limit, at least. But like you said, we never really Congress. win that anyway. So it was probably a wise choice to give in to that. So Kevin McCarthy didn't have to deal with that before the, right before the next election. But it was a potential future opportunity to curb some of the spending 
again. Maybe. Maybe. Correct. But even at potentially, as you say, a, a political cost. Right. Two losses there on, on the loss side. And this is, a, I'm not sure whether this is a win or a loss. We're going to get to Joe Manchin in our second story. But Joe Manchin got his natural gas pipeline. So it's part of the deal here. And I guess that's a win and a loss. It's a win for American energy, but it does feed the Joe Manchin thing. And we'll, we'll talk about the Joe Manchin thing in, in a bit. With regard to wins, uh, permitting reform, some of the Greenies are not happy about this. Expedited permitting reform with regard to uh, energy processing states, which is good, produce, energy uh, producing states, I should say. Uh, a welfare to work requirement that was strengthened. Uh, we uh, claw back in this deal billions from unspent COVID accounts, which is a good thing. Yay. $28 billion, uh, from what I've read. It also cuts uh, the new IRS army by about a quarter, $21 billion. We also curb growth in domestic spending, but it's a mixed bag there because it caps non-defense discretionary. As I told you, this is non-defense, non-entitlement, discretionary spending, 13 to 15% of the budget, right. uh, below current levels, which is a good thing. But babe, the bottom line to this, I don't want to get into Washington speak. It represents a break with regard to the spending, but what it really means in the real world is less spending that would have occurred anyway. So again, only in Washington is that a cut, right? Right. <laughs> it's like when I right. it's like when I gave remember the argument we had when we first got married? Right. Hey, uh gave you a thousand dollars. And uh in the one month I gave eight hundred, you said, Hey I got a cut. I said, wait, wait, you got eight hundred dollars, you get a cut. <laughs> oh it remember was definitely argument? Oh it was definitely a cut. <laughs> Well, you felt right in Washington, D.C. then. I think so, you called me a Democrat. <laughs> so uh, the bottom line to this whole thing is it avoids default. Uh, our bond rating as uh, an entity as the United States of America is protected. Uh, no new taxes. And it's the first speed bump that we've been able to negotiate with regard to this progressive, this ascendant progressive majority uh, in, in the new Democratic Party being willing to spend, spend, spend. The former speaker said that it was, Gingrich said that it was a great sign for turning things around. It was certainly a beginning, and it's very difficult to negotiate this particular issue and thought it was a big win. I would say that it wasn't great. When you just cut auto spending, it's going to occur anyway, and you have... That, which we just talked about, that's in Washington, that's uh, that I guess that's success. Uh, it was uh, probably as good as it could get with regard to McCarthy. I think his speakership is fine, by the way, yes. despite some of the comments from members of the Freedom Caucus who voted no. And the final vote, by the way, was yay, 149 Republicans and 165 Democrats. That's 314. Nay, 71 Republicans and 46 Democrats, 117. Interesting. So it passed uh, comfortably. Again, if the definition of a successful negotiation is nobody's really happy, you probably met that definition. And again, we love the speaker. We love Speaker Gingrich. He was just on our show a few weeks ago. He's the best. He's the expert on this. But a little hyperbole there with regard to how great this was. It was a step in the right direction, but a small step nevertheless. Speaking of Senator Manchin, second story. Headline, storm clouds gather for Manchin. <laughs> 
how often can this headline be be run in West Virginia? Well, but this I, time I think it's, this time it could be yeah. a little different. This is a very popular governor that's running against him. Yes. And I think that uh, it it's just has a different tone to it this time. Well, he's a true moderate in a red state. So the Democrats see it as, hey, he's a D, he counts in our majority, he's a pain in the butt. Uh, we have to placate him. Sometimes we lose him. The Republicans conversely say, hey, it's a red state. Trump carried it by 39 points, and they're renting a red seat. Right. So both sides see this as, as a problem. Uh, Joe Manchin loves his independence. Again, just regard to the, uh, with regard to the debt deal, he got something he wanted, and he traditionally uses that leverage in a very effective way. He's a very important man in so, the United States. Yeah, we called him the most important politician in Washington <laughs> repeatedly, and again, he proved it. So now you have this popular GOP governor, Jim Justice, and maybe others getting into that race. Uh, Justice, by the way, is a former party switcher. I don't criticize that. Churchill did it twice. Uh, but this is a real real challenge to Joe Manchin and if you count him and maybe Senator Cinema as the last two quote-unquote moderate non-progressive Democrats left the stakes here are really high especially during a Senate cycle next time 24 where the pundits in Washington are telling us it it advantages Republicans mm -hmm. not Democrats as opposed to last time where the Democrats had an advantage in the Senate races. So there's more vulnerable Democrats running. There's more red state Democrats up for re-election next time in the Senate. This is a story worth following. Uh, our friend Patrick Morrissey is in the mix with a potential governor's run here. Uh, Congressman Mooney, also an ex-Marylander. Uh, our friend also potentially could be in this race. Interesting. In, in the Senate race, he's a House member now, moved from Maryland and has a safe seat in West Virginia and may decide to move up. So, again, they'll be attacking him from the right, Senator Manchin from the right. Mm -hmm. The Democrats will be forced to defend him since he's the only possible Democrat with any conceivable chance to of win. holding this seat, right? right? So, again, a, a very interesting, important story in American politics going forward. Third story. <laughs> The L.A. Dodgers are one of the most valuable sports franchises in the world. In the world. Three million people a year. Dodger Stadium. It is as Americana, baseball, Sandy Koufax, world championships. And these days, Clayton Kershaw. This story's been in the news. And it's interesting. There is an anti-Christian, especially an anti-Catholic, quote-unquote, sisterhood drag group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They, and satanic. Yeah, there's <laughs> that too. <laughs> Forgot that. Forgot that one. Um, and they say they're a nonprofit and therefore acceptability and, and all that stuff. So they were announced as part of, I guess, Pride Month in, in, in Dodger Stadium, and they were going to have a celebration. They were part of it. And now you think about L.A. and the Dodgers, their fan base. A lot of Hispanics with regard to that fan base. A lot of Hispanic Catholics in that fan base. And so when this was announced, the 
reaction was real negative. And the Dodgers backed off and, in fact, uh, uh, rescinded the invitation. Disinvited them. And then when the woke left responded in kind, guess what happened? They reissued the invitation. And that, in turn, has sparked a new reaction on the right and among at least one player. And allegedly, and these are now I'm reading from reports, we don't have names, um, but allegedly players, not just the Dodgers, other players have approached the Players Association and said, we're tired with this stuff. We don't want to be put in the middle. We want to play baseball. Right. And this is putting us in untenable positions. One thing and the Dodgers the way, have I, done. I think most fans feel like that too. They just well, want we're, to we're go get see to that. baseball. Hold that thought. Okay. Hold that thought, okay? So one thing the Dodgers have done, is, and, and uh, Clayton Kershaw, obviously the – the franchise has there. come out and said well, he's well, a very- well, no, 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 no. He's an avowed Christian, right? And uh, so now he is part of the Dodger efforts to clean up this public relations mess. And they have, I guess, a, a Christian day <laughs> uh, scheduled for uh, July in order to help make up for this public relations disaster. The players' union involvement is really interesting here because that goes beyond this Dodger story mm-hmm. and, in fact, extends to other professional sports franchises. We saw what happened in NHL this past season. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of the controversy in uh, the NFL, clearly. So so we'll see. And God knows the NBA with China and all that and woke. So, so here we are. A uh, couple observations, takeaways from the Ehrlichs, at least. Uh, what were they thinking with regard to that fan base? This is a, a very Catholic fan base. And this group is very anti-Catholic. With regard to lifestyles, we are sort of normal Americans. We don't care what someone's adult lifestyle is. Not our business. Um, but there's two lines that are emerging in this culture war. And they're pretty clear lines. And you wonder why some corporations continue to cross over these lines. The first line is don't sexualize kids. Just wall off kids. Adults can do what they want. It's, a, it's an American adult. It's you a free country. It's a free country. Do what you want. Um, and then when certain groups just are, are bizarre and, and they, they cross that line from, into the bizarre and, and hate, like, this group, the hate group with regard to Catholics, it's especially bothersome because it appears that well, and, Christian and, groups... And the law draw, draws a line with hate. Yeah, well, good hate point. Hate speech. Good point. And so our laws have always drawn that line. But it seems as though it's a very flexible line when it comes to Christians and Christian groups. And that we're not the first folks to make that observation, clearly, but... But more importantly, what you said earlier, too, I think people are tired of bringing these political issues into sports. People love to go to their games. They love their teams. They want to support their teams. They don't want to get mired in all of this. And it's so interesting that uh, the front offices yeah. would, would think otherwise. The PR department. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, what are they thinking? Just... Leave that alone and let people come to the ballpark, enjoy the weather, the summer, whatever it is, and, and or your sport throughout all the seasons. People just get, they're just tired of it. 
So a lot of people are watching uh, Kirk, be careful. Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw in this. Right. And uh, as this story develops, we'll be reporting on it because to the extent this storyline we've been hearing is true, that other players are complaining to the front office and Major League Baseball through the Players Association, this could get a lot larger and, again, extend to other sports. Fourth story, Robert Kennedy, an interesting guy, I have to say. Uh, we'll get to the Fauci book in a second. I want to hear your thoughts. We have repeatedly on this show and in my public pronouncements talked about the end of liberalism, the illiberal nature of progressivism, the fact that liberals are on milk cartons these days. Where are the liberals with respect to speech and dissent and civil rights and civil libertarianism and all that stuff? And here, out of the blue, comes Robert Kennedy, a Kennedy, a traditional liberal, uh, liberal in the Kennedy mode. He is by the way, still pro-Cuba. He's an internationalist. He has traditional liberal views on a number of issues. But he's also someone who is not ruling out completing the border wall. A candidate who is not for the premature elimination of fossil fuels. He's an environmentalist, not a right. greenie. Right. And he makes that distinction. Good for him. Because he's looking at what's happening with wind not having... Yeah. really examined the impact of putting these huge monstrosities in our oceans and what impact that might have on that ecosystem. Like you said, he is an environmentalist, but not a greenie. Yeah, yeah, big difference. He is generally pro-Second Amendment. He's not for gun confiscation. Wow. He's anti-surveillance state, clearly. He values a privacy, a traditional liberal view. You remember those days. I do. He opposes biological men in women's sports. And most of all, he's known for being an anti-vaxxer. Now, that is a pejorative these days. You read the Fauci book. Right. He had a lot of reason. It. Well, it, for those of you that have read it, if you have not, please read it. All of this book is completely footnoted. And you can dig much deeper into the studies that he brings up and um, the doctors that he interviewed during COVID in the beginning, many people willing to at least try other things and recommend other things. And it, it just becomes very alarming uh, that our government that we need to trust at a very critical time really failed us. So we are conservatives, Jack Kemp conservatives. Uh, we are clearly the Ronald Reagan generation. Uh, but this is a traditional liberal that we find a lot to admire. And, and so, again, the Democratic Party has changed a lot in a very short period of time. This is not your 1960s Democratic Party. It's not John F. Kennedy's party. We and others have made that point. And this guy shot up immediately to 20% in the polls when he announced, without any money, without anything, quite frankly, other than that name, that very well, famous name. He does have a little bit of a common sense perspective on it. I don't, I don't know how far that'll go or well, what, what he'll be on all the issues that are uh, facing us today, but he has a much more common sense approach. And I think the Democrats, there's some Democrats that are still looking for that. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks in the middle, Republicans, maybe soft Republicans, minor Republicans looking for that as well. He's a class act. He's an interesting guy. He's thoughtful. We find him compelling uh, with respect to interviews. And he's someone we really welcome onto the national political scene. We miss liberals. And he clearly is. is and, and not that we agree with liberals on most instances, but again, we talk about the football analogy we use all the time between the 20s. He's a between the 20s candidate. It's about time we got back to that in well, American politics. And, and hopefully the media will not just push him away and ignore him. It, it, it's so unfair what the media does to a different point of view within that party. And so demand that he be heard. He needs to be heard. So there is our comment with respect to the Democrats these days. We'll get into DeSantis and Trump next show. Uh, we're going to have, I believe, uh, Governor Allen. We were on a show with him last night, Governor George Allen and Susan. We did a show with him last night. We're going to have him uh, on our show as well. We'll be talking about GOP politics next time, more than likely. Also, we're talking to Daily Caller. I suspect we'll have a new piece published there as well. Want to promote that and please look at our website whenever you can for all things Ehrlich 24 7. That's bobehrlich.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Godspeed.